national championship contenders. There are only a handful of them every college football preseason, and they suck up most of the oxygen in the room. And that's because the national championship is the biggest and bestest prize in all of college football, arguably in all of college sports, seeing how much revenue college football takes up. And at the end of every given college football season, you look back upon the year and the body of work of all 133, 134, 130, 100-plus FBS teams, and observing what all of them have done and how dominant or lack thereof they were, you do realize that even if millions of things changed, only that handful of teams would be able to win it all in that given year. Take last year, for example. After watching 2023, and after studying it, and after all of us paid attention to it and were deeply ingrained and involved in another great year of college football, the only teams that I think could have won it all were Michigan, who were the national champions, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Washington, Oregon, and Texas. I would say. And may, and maybe there's another team where they could have won it all, but I think I just named those teams. Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Washington, Oregon, and Texas. Though I would more so say the top six. I didn't think that Texas at the end of the year, or even in the preseason, had the ceiling to win it all. But that's beside the point I'm getting sidetracked. In 2019, there were three teams alone in that year who were competing to be one of the greatest teams of all time. Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU, based off of their dominance, based off of their raw talent at quarterback, their great defenses, great offenses, etc. Every year in college football is unique and different, but a constant in college football right now is that only a few teams every year really have the potential to win it all. Is Penn State one of them? That's my question for you today. And comment your answer to that question, if you may, down in the comment section below. And before we dive into this topic, I want to say a few things. Number one, please like this video, share it around to any Penn State fan or Big Ten football fan or college football fan, if they're interested in Penn State, that you know and get them to like this video. And along with yourself, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel and click the notification bell so that you can be notified when I release more Penn State football, Big Ten football, and college football content. And last, but certainly not least, please check out my Patreon page and my merchandise store via the links in the description and in the pinned comment. There's an article that I wrote on Patreon, or Patreon rather, that's how you pronounce it, on February 6th. This was before Chip Kelly was hired by Ohio State. Bill O'Brien went to Boston College. And I mention that fact because it was an article discussing Ohio State and Penn State and giving a comparison between the two teams and asking the question, who has the higher ceiling? And it's interesting. I give some metrics in there. I make some comparisons, mainly talk about the offensive side of the ball, as I think that those are the most intriguing aspects of both of these teams entering 2024. Talk some returning starters and returning two deep players, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of information there, and a little bit of history, recent history, of the Penn State-Ohio State football rivalry. 
aka Ohio State owning that rivalry. But I encourage you to sign up as a Patreon member. You have to be an All-American, which is 10 bucks, or a Heisman, which is 25 bucks a month, to read the bonus content. But it's worth it, in my opinion. You get to be featured at the end of the video and at other points in the video. And you get to have access to some articles. And I think that in this article, I describe the fact that there are more similarities than differences with these two teams, I think, in terms of their ceiling. So check it out. It's a few paragraph article. You can comment on it. I'm always going to be very responsive on Patreon because I'm excited to have that type of community both on YouTube here, but also Patreon. So I encourage you to check that out and also check out if you do end up signing up, there's a nice USC article talking about how I think they'll do this season. But thank you for that. And before we get started as well, I want to give a quick shout out to my patrons. Crash2488, thank you for being a Heisman member. Spencer Bringhurst and Chris Lane, thank you for being an All-American member. And Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, Chris, or Austin Christmas, Zubin Zah, and Janisha Cockrell, thank you for being all conference members for the month of February. Now let's get in back to this topic. And when you talk about national championship contenders, when you talk about the best of the best teams, there's talent, there's recruiting. Penn State's been recruiting in the top 15 every year for really the past three, four, mainly three recruiting cycles. That's the most that matter anyways, the past three, four years, maybe five, typically. They've been recruiting in the top 15 in all or most of those seasons. They got a top 10 recruiting class for the 2022 cycle, where, where Drew Aller, Nicholas Singleton, Catron Allen, Donnie Dennis Sutton, those players came from. And now they're juniors here. That was a while ago. Now we're, we're in the 2025 cycle now. It's crazy to think about. And I think Penn State right now is a top 10 2025 recruiting class ranking. But it's early. But returning production, I think, is more important. And some say if you're not in the top 10 in, in total team talent, then you can't win at all. Well, Michigan proved that wrong last year. They were 14th in total team talent. They were the most dominant team in the country. And per Bill Connolly's S&P Plus, they were one of the more dominant teams in the 21st century, which is insane. And Clemson, when they won it all in 2016, they were barely inside the top 10. But where Michigan had elite trench play, a legendary defense, great schematics, and that is excluding the whole sign-stealing debacle, and Clemson, they had an elite quarterback. So if you are exceptional in certain areas, whether it's on-field or off-field, you can compensate for not being in the top 10 or even top 5 in terms of total team talent. Recruiting is important. But I think, especially recently, given the portal and how much of an industry it's turned into, I think it's overhyped. I think experience and learning and skill, skill, part of that has to do with recruiting, but other parts of it just have to do with acquired talent, with learning your trade. I think that's more important. And the Nittany Lions return a lot of experience. They return 70% of their 2023 production. They're 23rd nationally there. 
like I did with my Rutgers and Nebraska videos or other videos where I've talked about returning production, just a few of them so far this season, more that'll ramp up soon, there are very few Big Ten teams that return more than Penn State. Wisconsin and Minnesota do at 20th and 19th, and Rutgers, Northwestern, and Nebraska do at 8th, 6th, and 3rd, respectively. None of those teams, none of them, come close to Penn State in terms of talent. Penn State returns 70% of their production. Wisconsin and Minnesota only return 1% more. Rutgers returns 4% more. Northwestern returns 6% more. Nebraska returns 7% more. Those single-digit percentage advantages do not compensate for Penn State's talent superiority. They don't compensate for that at all. If you were to weigh roster talent and returning production, Penn State's probably in the best situation when you balance out those factors. The problem for Penn State hasn't been returning production or talent, in my opinion. The problem has been James Franklin and the staff. But that's something that we'll continue to talk about in this video and other Penn State videos. And if you want to really, if you disagree with me on that, I want you to click the link in the top right corner of your screen. It's a video that I made after Penn State's loss to Michigan in 2023, detailing the statistical inferiority of Penn State when they face Ohio State or Michigan, and just the abysmal record that Franklin has against both of those teams when they're in the top 10. It, only if you disagree. If you agree with me on that topic, I'd still like you to watch it, but it's not really that urgent if we're on the same page there. Specifically for the Nittany Lions, what they return the most is their offense. They return Drew Aller at quarterback, both their running backs, Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen. Nicholas Singleton last year did not have a breakthrough year that many thought he would. I say breakthrough like he didn't have an awesome 2022 campaign, but in 2022, he didn't do much against Michigan, Ohio State. He didn't, he didn't give Penn State anything to help them break through. He, he, he wasn't that X-factor player. He was a great player. He was a nice player. Wasn't an elite player. He wasn't that this year. He only had 752 rushing yards and averaged 4.4 yards per carry. Him and Donovan Edwards had similar seasons where these are high-ceiling players who are great out of the backfield as receivers, elite with breakaway speed, great in speed great in space, but they just didn't have awesome years this season. Catron Allen had 902 rushing yards and averaged over five yards per carry. And whether it's him or whether it's Kyle Manungai, these are running backs that are more like a brick being utilized as a weapon than, let's say, a 50 cal sniper rifle. They hit you slow, but they can cause blunt force trauma if utilized properly. And that's what Catron Allen is. He breaks tackles. He is a power back. He'll lean forward with that power, always turning his legs. It's hard to bring him down. He just doesn't have the same speed or upside that Singleton does in space. So it's nice that both of them come back, along with some members of the Penn State O-line, J.B. Nelson and Sal Warmly, both starting guards from last season, and Keandre Lambert-Smith at wide receiver and Tyler Warren at tight end come back. 
We'll get more into some of the losses that Penn State suffered on offense, but they return seven starters and 74% of their production from the 12th scoring offense. An, an offense that was lethargic, that statistically was puffed up by an awesome defense, by some special teams and defensive touchdowns, and playing a weaker than average strength of schedule for a Big Ten team. But at times, the offense showed that it had potential. The Peach Bowl against Ole Miss, there were drives where the offense looked phenomenal. It was that way with Penn State at moments against West Virginia when Aller had a great game. There were other games where that was showcased as well. I mean, what they did against Iowa, I know Iowa had tons of turnovers, but to shut out Iowa and to work that defense strategically the way they did where Penn State just took whatever yards Iowa gave up, that was a good game by that offense. Elite, perfect, absolutely not, but good. That offense has potential, and with Kotal Nicky coming in and the offense returning what they, they do and bringing in Julian Fleming, there are reasons to be excited about this offense. The defense returns less, only five starters, two-thirds of their 2023 production. The defense was much better than the offense, but as we saw, again, reflecting on that Peach Bowl, the secondary is very vulnerable. It's very thin. Uh, Kevin Winston Jr. comes back. Jalen Reed comes back. But at corner, the projected starters right now are Cam Miller, incoming Georgia transfer A.J. Harris, and King Mack. Uh, those players are not the same as Kalen King, Don, Johnny Dixon, and, and Daquan Hardy. The drop-off in that bowl game, whether it was due to Diaz departing, part of it, and also those elite players at secondary, it was a, it was a mix of both. The drop-off was severe. So that's an area to pay attention to, in my opinion, would be the secondary. But Abdul Carter returns. It looks like he's working on being a defensive end more than just a standard linebacker, blitzing linebacker, but going more into that traditional D-end role. Kobe King returns. Uh, Tyler Elsden, Dominic DeLuca, Tony Roas returns. And then Zane Durant and Devon Ellis, and along with Hakeem Biaman and Koziah Ezerd, a lot of that defensive tackle room comes back. So there's returning production quite a bit of it on both sides of the ball. Drew Aller last season was not a top 25 quarterback in my mind. 136.9 passer rating, didn't complete 60% of his passes, 25 touchdowns, two picks. His only upside was he didn't throw picks, but he was overly cautious with the football. If he threw five more touchdowns and five or six more interceptions, there's a good chance that in doing so, Penn State beats one of Ohio State or Michigan. I'd say more likely Ohio State in that regard based off of those games, but that's beside the point. Or maybe there's just more hope for Penn State entering next year that Drew Aller maybe has to work on turning over the football a little less, but you see more of the gunslinger. You see that he's willing to take risks, and we, we see more of the upside. There was barely any upside showcased from Aller outside of a game against Indiana where Penn State's secondary looked like wet toast against Brendan Sorsby, who hopefully succeeds at Cincinnati. Aller should improve with Kotelnicki's coaching, and Fleming will be the best wide receiver talent that Penn State has seen since Parker Washington, or maybe you go even further back than that 
and you say Jahan Dotson. I'm not super high on Fleming in the sense that I've watched him play at OSU when he's healthy. He's great, but him being healthy or being consistent is far from a guarantee. But regardless, I think that it's a good addition in a wide receiver room that has been weak. Penn State is 7th in early S&P Plus rankings with a 25.6 rating, and they had a 23.5 rating in 2023. So they're expected to be about the same compared to last year, or slightly improved. And Wisconsin and Minnesota are the only Big Ten opponents on Penn State's 2024 schedule that return more production. Again, just Big Ten opponents. Illinois, UCLA, USC, Penn State's three Opening Big Ten opponents return less production. Wisconsin returns more, but Ohio State doesn't. Ohio State's actually 70th in returning production. Washington returns far less. Purdue returns less. Minnesota returns more. Maryland is closer to Washington and Michigan. They're at the bottom of the food chain in returning production. So a favorable schedule that we'll get to at the end of the video and favorable returning production numbers, a coaching upgrade, an offensive coordinator, obviously on the offensive side of the ball, and a lot of talent to work with. Let's talk about the defense briefly, and then we'll get into the offense and then the schedule, and really my thoughts on the question I posed at the beginning of the video, which, if you haven't heard it already, is, is Penn State a national title contender? Are they? Right now, I feel like the recognized national championship contenders, the obvious ones in the preseason, are Georgia, in Ohio State, which I agree with, and then Oregon and Texas, which I have some more questions about. And this is per ESPN's updated way too early top 25, which I will link in the description. And I, yeah, I'll link it in the comments section as well. Missouri, Ole Miss, and Notre Dame, along with the four teams I mentioned, are ranked ahead of Penn State, who's eighth in the updated ESPN way too early top 25. Eighth. If you think Penn State's better than the 8th best team in the country, you probably have answered yes to my question, which means you think that they are a national championship contender. Penn State's defense last year was led by Manny Diaz. He commanded, coordinated an elite defense. They were 3rd in opponent points per game and 4th in defensive efficiency. Behind in efficiency, it was Michigan at 1, Ohio State at 2, Clemson at 3. Other metrics like SP+, had Penn State at fourth in defensive efficiency as well. They just had Iowa substituted for Clemson at that third spot. In points per game, they were also only behind Michigan and Ohio State. The Big Ten, this is really interesting by S&P Plus. I might make a little mini video about it. Per Bill Connolly, the Big Ten might have had a once-in-a-lifetime year when it comes to how elite their defenses are. And yeah, part of that was probably the fact that the Big Ten didn't have good offenses. But, I mean, Big Ten defenses last year were crazy. They were NFL, played in an elite level. Penn State, for the size of defensive tackles they have, their defensive tackles are small. They're, I think, more built to be pass rushers than run stoppers. The fact that they were able to hold Michigan State and Maryland to negative yardage with sacks, with tackles for loss... They limited Ohio State's run game well, and Michigan Michigan ran on them, and Michigan did a pretty good job. But that's Michigan. They love to run the football, and Michigan's offensive line 
really beginning in November and moving forward did an impressive job compared to earlier in the year when they weren't so impressive. It was a great defense. But Diaz is gone. He's become the head coach of Duke. Tom Allen's coming in after being fired from Indiana. I thought that was a nice pickup from James Franklin, a good hire. You have someone with head coaching experience on the defensive side of the ball. And we'll get to the offense later, but him and Kotal Nicky being hired, that's a great coordinator duo. Losing Robinson and Isaac at defensive end is going to hurt. Those are NFL players. Same with Kalen King and Johnny Dixon. But Penn State returned several starting players. They returned the entire two deep at defensive tackle. Look for Danny Dennis Sutton to potentially have a breakout season. Former five-star. He's gotten some rotational playing time. Abdul Carter comes back. Kobe King comes back. Much of the linebacker core outside of Curtis Jacobs comes back, and and his departure hurts. It's nice that he was the only one who left from what was a a high-level, top-ten caliber linebacker core. And even, even at secondary, Kevin Winston Jr. comes back, Jalen Reed comes back. So, So that safety room, I think, is built at a good level. Corner? That's that's the area really to look out for in terms of concern. One of the concerns from Penn State last year at times was their tackling, as well as the fact that they were small. Penn State was small and fast, and you noticed that in their games against Ohio State and Michigan in particular, where Ohio State and Michigan players are bigger, and in some cases were also faster, but they they had more of a size advantage over Penn State than they did a speed advantage. And that didn't help with their tackling, and also I thought that at times they'd have a hard habit of arm tackling, or more so trying to force a turnover rather than just stop the play and blow it dead. They were more of a boom or bust defense. They'd sell out often with blitzes, try and strip the ball instead of just tackling, or sometimes try and get the interception instead of getting the pass deflection. And you saw that against Michigan, where Sharon Moore was able to use outside runs and great blocking by the O-line with an extra offensive lineman to really mess around with Penn State's aggression, utilizing play action, rarely. With Ohio State, they were able to, with Marvin Harrison Jr., just abuse what was an aggressive Penn State defense because if you have a competent quarterback and an NFL wide receiver, you will do things against an aggressive defense. You will, a defense that sells out. I don't think that Tom Allen is going to be as aggressive. Maybe I'm wrong. And I think that will actually be a good thing. I think that with Allen, Penn State will tackle better. They will be more fundamentally sound. They will be more concerned about just doing their job rather than being full of aggression and energy and and trying to put on a show. Not saying that last year's defense wasn't high, that they didn't have high football IQ, because they did, or that they weren't great. They were. They were elite. That was a defense that, at times, I thought was the number one defense in the country. But like every unit, they weren't perfect. Georgia's 2021 unit, their secondary, mainly because of Keely Ringo, but for whatever reason, their secondary had holes. That's how you would beat Georgia that year. Like, look at Alabama. In that SEC title game, they they tore apart Georgia. And it would have been the same thing if they faced C.J. Stroud and that Ohio State offense. 
they would have scored points on them. For Penn State, it's not their secondary, it's their interior D-line. They have a hard time stopping the run, depending on who they face, and, and that's where Michigan had that advantage over them for the past three years. We'll see if that continues into the future. They don't play each other in the regular season this year. But I think the defense will be more fundamentally sound, but because of the departures at secondary and defensive end and some of the questions we have at corner, I don't think this defense will have the same ceiling. But they'll be more fundamentally sound, whether that means they'll actually have a better defense next year, probably not statistically, but in big moments their defense will be better, or that's not the case. We'll just have to see, because this is the preseason. We can do a lot of research, and we can formulate educated predictions, but the games have to play themselves, and the games are the determining factor. And no one ever has had perfect college football predictions. Never. Let's talk about the Penn State offense. Penn State's offense last year was a mess, and that's probably an understatement. Despite being 12th in points per game, 12th in scoring offense, look at this. They only scored 13.5 points per game when you only count the Michigan and Ohio State games, which those are the only games that Penn State was not favored in, or that Penn State had a great, a sizable chance of losing. Those were games where either it was a coin flip, or Penn State was an underdog by analytics. And their offense was pitiful in both of those games. The defense, the defense allowed only 22 points per game, which against those two teams is good. That is a historically, in regards to Penn State and James Franklin defenses, that's a historically good performance by a James Franklin defense against both Michigan and Ohio State. The problem is the offense sucked in both of those games, and it wasn't just the fact that they were facing elite defenses. It was part of that. But you can't give all the credit to that offense looking lethargic to Jim Knowles and Jesse Minter. Some of it was James Franklin. Some of it was Mike Yersich. Some of it was the fact that Penn State's wide receiver core was weak and that really in order for Penn State to have a ton of success this year, you were going to have to rely on Aller being elite as a sophomore, which probably wasn't going to happen. And I didn't think it would happen in the preseason. I was lower on him in the 2023 preseason than most people were. And that was one of the predictions that I just happened to, to get right. Um, but they return much of that unit from last year. And it's not that the unit last year had a low ceiling. It's that they had a very low floor and their ceiling at wide receiver was limited. And Franklin's constant intervention just doesn't help. Kotal Nicky is a genius. He's had two top 25 offenses in a row at Kansas and they featured elite quarterback play at times from Jalen Daniels and great quarterback play from Jason Bean, who's filled in often for Daniels because he's suffered with injuries over the past two seasons. He actually redshirted this season. He only appeared in, I think, four games. Bean took over for the rest of them, and he looked good. I mean, Bean was a better quarterback than Drew Aller. He was. He was a much better quarterback this past season. Kotal Nicky is a massive upgrade. He might be the best offensive coordinator in the country. That's how high I am on him. And he has some work carved out for him on how he's going to deal with this offensive line. 
because when you lose three of your starters and one of them is one of the best offensive linemen, probably the best in this upcoming draft and one of the best in the country as a college player, that hurts and the offensive line probably, probably won't improve. It'll be the same. Maybe it will regress. So there will be work carved out there. But maybe the offensive line improves. We don't necessarily know all of the details. What we know is that Kotal Nicky is a proven body of work. He develops good quarterbacks, and he's an, a creative schemer, uses multiple formations, is an excellent teacher of the game. I think that this unit should be leaps and bounds ahead of last year's unit. Now, a lot of that's theory, but looking at returning production, Penn State, in terms of returning production, is they're 28th on the offensive side of the ball. 28th. They return nearly three-fourths of their production from last season. Most of the production they lose from last year is on the offensive line, which Bill Connolly's S&P Plus wisely puts a heavy weight on offensive line production because the offensive line, I thought last year, was probably the second most important position behind quarterback. With where college football is trending now, there's a part of me that says the offensive line's the most important position on the offense, like even including quarterback there. There have been teams over the past few seasons that have been awesome that have not had generational quarterback play, and they've been the best teams in the country because of their offensive line. I'm looking at you, TCU, Georgia, and Michigan, and Ohio State, all the playoff teams in 2022. And I'm looking at Michigan and Washington, though they had, I'd say, near elite to elite quarterbacks last year. And and Texas last year. They didn't have an elite O-line, but their O-line was better than their quarterback and Quinn Ewers. And they were in the playoff. So if Kotal Nicky can develop Aller and Penn State with their strength and conditioning, which I respect a lot, can continue to run the ball, they can improve at running the ball with Singleton and Allen returning, along with Tyler Warren, who's an, an ultimate possession tight end, great red zone threat, most reliable receiver on this team at the tight end position. Also, Nolan Rucci joined the program from Wisconsin. He's a Pennsylvania native, former five-star offensive lineman. He joined and is projected to start at right tackle. So there is some incoming production in the trenches as well, offensively. It's just so important, more so than putting up better numbers in general, that against an elite defense like the one that Penn State will face in Ohio State this coming season, it's so important that Kotal Nicky and the offense in that game play well. Because that's the game that Penn State has struggled in. It's the game against top 10 Ohio State and top 10 Michigan. Those are the games where James Franklin and Penn State have struggled, and I don't think I need to say that over and over again. I think we all accept that. The offense, despite the fact that they return more production than the defense, the offense is the intriguing story. Because we've seen Garrett Riley go to Clemson, and in year one, and I, I've been guilty of this, we assume that they can fix it all in one year. Well, that's not necessarily true. Went there in year one, and Clemson's offense, in fact, regressed. But that was for a variety of reasons. I think they'll be better this year than they were last year, which was Riley's first. We've seen Lincoln Riley go to USC, and even though in year one there in 2022 his offense was awesome, 
This year, the offense was analytically overrated. You watched in the trench play, not elite. Caleb Williams was worse this year than last year. So it takes time for systems to be implemented. And progress, something that Josh Pate says that I love and that people have said to me in my life and that I will say because it's full of wisdom, progress is not linear. So the offense is the most intriguing part of this Penn State team, specifically quarterback and wide receiver and what Kodal Nicky will do with that and how Aller will progress. I think the defense, even though there were concerns in the Peach Bowl with a whole preseason of training and Jalen Kimber and A.J. Harris transferring in and Tom Allen still managing that side of the ball, I think that the defense is going to be great next year. Will they be elite? That might have some question marks surrounding that, but I think they'll be a great unit for sure and a top 10, top 15 defense at that. I think that Penn State can win the national title. Even with my criticisms of Franklin, the fact that I think he is a bad game manager and consequentially I rank him much lower as a head coach than most people do, he's constructed an elite staff. He has one of the best OCs in the country, a defensive coordinator who has head coaching experience, and Tom Allen's specialty at Indiana was nasty defenses that would suffer through three or four quarters of having no offense outside of the 2019, 2018, and 2020 season. His defenses were always tenacious. They were nasty. They were mean. They tackled well. They were frustrating to deal with. The reason they were figured out in really the past three years is because he didn't have any offense. So the defense just got tired out, and Indiana doesn't have the depth that most teams in the Big Ten do. But he'll be great with more talent and less responsibility and focusing on his area of expertise. I think Allen's a great hire. And you factor in whether it's Ty Howell at tight ends or Jajon Sider at running backs, or whether it's Terry Smith at corners or Phil Trotwein at offensive line, who... Look, as much as I have criticized his development in the past, he developed Olu Fashanen, who was Penn State's best offensive lineman under James Franklin, and he's done well recruiting at the position. So I think if Penn State is to win it all or to win the Big Ten, the time is now. I think they're a national title contender. I give you a hint for my way-too-early top 25, which that video is going to be coming out in a week and a half, two weeks. I have them as a top 16. I think that they are, in fact, I'll go this far, I think that they're more of a national title contender than Texas is this season for a variety of reasons that I'll explain. However, I think that Penn State winning it all would require a bit going Penn State's way. It wouldn't be a bajillion things going their way, like maybe a top 15 team winning it all or a fringe top 10 team. Like, Florida State winning it all last year, that would require a bajillion things going their way, would require almost no injuries, would require probably just a different tone set from the beginning of the season. It would require just an asinine amount of things. For Penn State, I think they're a title contender, but I don't think they're a title contender in the same way that, let's say, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama are, For whether it's for talent whether it's the fact that I think all three of those schools have better coaches, head coaches, strength and conditioning, 
etc. They're not that national championship contender, but they're they're in the next tier lower. That's just my opinion, though, and I, I could be wrong. Penn State could be a a top two team next season. Maybe they could be the number one team. And that sounds crazy to say, but I'm saying that because I do think they can win it all. And if I think they can win it all, then I think there is a chance that they are the nation's best team in the country. They have the best combination of returning. They have the best combination of returning talent. And I would say, well, not re- they have the best combination of returning production and returning talent. Now, overall, I think that Ohio State has a higher ceiling. But with Ohio State, in terms of the fact that some of their key contributors are going to be transfers, there's questions surrounding Ryan Day and how he's ran the offense. Just look at last year when they had a lot more talent than Penn State's offense, and their offense was only better than Penn State's because it showed up in one big game, the game against Michigan. Um, And there's questions surrounding the offense. And losing Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kyle McCord and their linebackers, and Josh Proctor, that could be a bigger deal than what many, including myself, are making it out to be. I think Ohio State is, along with Georgia and Alabama, more of a national title contender than Penn State is. I'll I'll give you that hint. But there is a chance that, whether it's Ohio State or whether it's Alabama, I think Georgia is just going to be up there no matter what that those teams, due to the fact that they're losing some key contributors and they have some changes in coaching and some questions at coaching and at certain positions, there's a chance that they could be worse than this Nittany Lion team we're talking about. But that's all I'm going to say in this video. I wanted to bring this topic up because it's been something that has interested me since the really, I'd say, beginning of... January, end of December, when I started thinking about the 2024 season. Again, if you can, no pressure, won't be sad if you don't. If you can, sign up as an All-American or Heisman patron so you can read that Ohio State-Penn State article that I wrote. It will literally be, if you sign up, the third thing when you scroll down. It'll be an obvious title, Ohio State versus Penn State, who has the higher ceiling, You'll also get access to other bonus content that I have. I posted something today three hours ago talking about USC. So if you're interested in a Big Ten newcomer, you can check that out. But thanks to Crash2488 for being a Heisman patron. Thanks to Spencer Bringhurst and Chris Lane for being an All-American patron. And thanks to Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, Austin Christmas, Zubin Zah, and Janisha Cockrell for being all-conference patrons. Have a great day, guys, and if you're listening on Spotify, please follow the channel. Bye-bye.